Father, I thank you for the opportunity to start off our day this morning by opening up your word and, and reading what it says to us. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that as we go throughout the day, we can reflect back on, on this morning, uh, on this class period, and bring back to our minds the good news of the gospel that you give us, even from the very first pages of Genesis. As we study this morning, I ask that you would be with us and and that you would bless our study, that you would help us understand what your word says and what it means. Help us to see ways that it applies to our lives and help us see the importance of this. Um, We're going to talk about some potentially difficult topics today, and so I ask that you would give us uh, the the energy and, and the mental strength to tackle this, and I pray that in all of it, our Lord Jesus would be glorified and honored. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, yesterday we went over Genesis 1, 1 through 3, uh, and let's do a little bit of quick review. Genesis 1, 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and in Genesis 1, 2, some people raise your hands. Describe what the world looks like in Genesis 1, 2. Formless and void. Okay, formless and void. Who else has something? Empty. Okay, it's, it's empty. Uh, what else? Okay, shapeless. What did you say, Joy? Dark. It's dark. And uh, how does how does Genesis one two describe it? It's one big what? Ocean. Okay, ocean. Uh, what do you remember the word that's used? Okay, a, a void. Okay, it's a it's an abyss. It's the deep, the deep right? A, a giant sea. So uh, we look at Genesis one two, and the earth has no life. It's totally dark. It's one big ocean. And sometimes we go to the beach and the ocean's nice, right? Uh, Are there days when you wouldn't want to be in the ocean, though? Yeah, it looks chaotic. It looks stormy. The waves seem random. They don't have any order. And you imagine God makes you and he plops you down in the middle of the earth in Genesis 1-2. What's going to happen to you very quickly? You're going to die. All right. It's not suitable for us. All right. Um, Genesis uh, 1-2, though, ends... With the Spirit of God hovering over the what? Face of the over the waters, over the face of the waters, right? Um, and then God speaks in Genesis 1-3 and says, let there be light. light. And then he spends the first three days of creation giving order to the world, appointing a place for the dry land, for the sky, and for the sea. And then in the last three days of creation, days four through six, He fills the sky with animals. He fills the sea with animals. He fills the land with animals and with? With us, with humans, with people, right? And so uh, throughout Genesis 1, God appears and, and he comes to this formless, lifeless, dark, dead, chaotic place. His spirit touches it and all of a sudden it's filled with light and order and peace and life, and what does Paul tell us in Second Corinthians four six about that? Why did God create the world in that way, according to Paul? What what was God doing? This was one of the big points of the lesson yesterday. Why did God do it in that specific way? Could could God have just made everything perfect right off the bat? Yes. Probably. I mean, he's he's all powerful. Yeah, he could have done that. Why did we get the world the way that it looks in Genesis one two? What's he doing? Go 
Yeah, the Apostle Paul says all of this serves as a picture of your salvation. The scriptures teach that all of us were what in our trespasses and sins? Dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. We were a part of the kingdom of darkness in Colossians chapter 1. So we were dark. We had no spiritual life because we were separated from God. Uh, We had no peace, right? But the good news is that the Holy Spirit came to us just like he came to the creation in the beginning. Uh, We were made to understand the things of Christ, understand the gospel the same way that God said, let there be light in Genesis 1. He's come into the hearts of believers and said, let there be light there. He's shown the light of the gospel to us and he's made us new. All right. So we talked about that yesterday and then we looked at the sixth day of creation, which the first chapter of Genesis presents, it seems, as the very most important of, of all the days of creation. And um, he makes humanity in his what? Image and likeness, likeness and image, good. Um, And what does that mean? What did we talk about yesterday? What what does that mean, Zach? Um, He made us, like, I'm assuming that he made us in his own image. Somebody flesh that out a little bit more. Carrie? He gave us like he gave us like the little things that we have to know and then he created us in his image and Okay, let's let's think about a... Uh, okay, we Yesterday we talked about where else is the word image used in the Old Testament. Where else does that show up? Zach told us yesterday one of the places it shows up. You shall make no graven images, right? Uh, these other religions that, that the nations around Israel participate in, they have temples that you go into to worship their false gods. And one of the things that you see in those, in those temples would be a little statue. What do we typically call those? Idols. Idols, but the word in the Bible is that they are images. They represent the God, all right? And so God uh, doesn't make little statues of himself to represent himself. You know what he made? Uh, Us. So being made in God's image and likeness, one of the things that that means is that we are representatives of God, all right? Uh, Genesis 1 ties us being made in God's image and likeness to the command that God gives us. We're going to look at this more today to subdue the earth and rule over it. God has authority over all creation, but we're kind of rulers under the great ruler. Okay? And so whenever we conduct ourselves in this world, we're supposed to rule it and interact with it the way that God would. We're supposed to reflect his character to each other and to the rest of the creation. We're supposed to live as God's representatives. Uh, I told you yesterday, whenever you think of the image of God, think of a verb. Imaging God is something that you do. Okay? So, uh, did Adam and Eve represent God very well? Did they image God very well? No. No. We're going to talk about that here in the next couple of class periods. They don't image God very well at all. Uh, and that, that makes things very bad in God's very good earth. Um, 
So one of the things that it has to do is, is representative of God. Another thing that we see tied in with that is we looked at Genesis 5 yesterday, I believe, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, where it said that Adam had a son named what? Oh. Seth. And Seth was in the what and what of Adam? The image and likeness. So a son is in the image and likeness of his father. So what does that tell you? Uh, what is God's relationship to Adam like? Son. Yeah, father and son. All right. And we looked at Luke 3 yesterday where Adam is called the son of God in that passage. And I think I mentioned to you guys, you know, we have this idea in scripture that Jesus is God's only begotten son. But what are we called as well? Yeah, the children are the sons of God. We're, we're children by adoption. Jesus is a child by right. Adam is a, is a child by adoption as well. So he's not a son in the same way that Jesus is later called God's son, but, but he is a son nonetheless. And so one of the things it means to be made in God's image and likeness is that we're supposed to have a close family-like relationship with God. Uh, we're supposed to be like his sons and have him as our father. All right? You guys remember most of that stuff? Is it good that we reviewed it, though? Yeah. Okay. All right. A couple of things that we want to cover today. We, we want to kind of wrap up Genesis chapter 1. Um, and then we want to start looking at a few things in Genesis chapter 2. So you guys open to Genesis 1. Uh, uh, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of this chapter. And then we're going to look at a few things in Genesis 2. Um, that I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you guys have probably not paid attention to before. Um, but this is going to help us really understand not only Genesis, but as we get later into the scriptures, it'll help us understand that as well. All right, so open to Genesis 1. Um, let's see. Natalie Hankins, um, will you read Genesis 1, 28 through 31 for us? Uh, to, to the end of the chapter. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for me, and it, it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was his good. All right, who is God talking to in that passage? Adam. Adam and who? Eve. Eve. Notice that it's already using plurals, right? Uh, it, it says, the Lord God blessed them in verse 28. So uh, something to understand with, with Genesis 1 and 2 is Genesis 1 gives you the six days of creation, all right? And then the beginning of Genesis 2 goes ahead and tells you about the seventh day. It wants to present the pattern of what happened in the week. But the sixth day is so important 
All right, this is Genesis 1 right here. The sixth day is so important that what Genesis 2 does is it goes back to it and it enlarges it. It, it talks about it more. It gives you more detail. All right? So the things that happen in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 24, uh, that's not day 8 or day 9 or day 10. Instead, what it's doing is it's telling you what happened on each of the days of creation. And then Genesis 2 is kind of going back in time to the sixth day to give you more detail about how Adam was created, how Eve was created. Okay? Does that make sense? The Bible does this sort of thing quite a lot. Okay, we're going to talk about this as we go through that sometimes the Bible gives you events that are not quite in in the exact order that they happened. All right. Sometimes it wants to follow a pattern and give you all the information about one thing and then kind of go back and recover something that's going to happen a lot. Uh, Particularly, that's going to happen a lot in the books of Joshua, Judges, first and second Samuel does it all over the place but genesis is doing that right here okay so in the passage that natalie read at the end of genesis 1 uh, adam and eve are both being addressed and god tells adam and he tells eve be what yeah be fruitful all right there's i'm not good at stick figures so you know you're just gonna have to bear with me with that um Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Where are Adam and Eve when that command is being given? In the garden garden of Eden. Eden. Okay. They're in Eden and they're told, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Here's a question. How big was Eden? Pretty big. Huge. It had four rivers flowing into it. Okay. Um, maybe a different way to ask it. Was Eden the entire earth? No. Was the entire earth like Eden? No. Okay, let's look at this. Um, that's the correct answer. I'm, I'm happy that you guys picked up on that. Um, somebody read for me Genesis 2, verse 8. God has just made Adam, and then in verse 8 it starts to describe Eden. Zach, will you read that for us? Okay, so we get kind of three stages here. All right, he planted a garden, and the garden was in a region called what? It was in a region called Eden. What? You guys see that? Yes, sir. All right, he planted a garden in a region called Eden, and then Eden was in what part of the world? Does it tell you? Huh? In the east part of the world. Okay. So, uh, is the garden basically a really good way to ask this? Are the terms garden and Eden equivalent? Are they the same thing? Okay. You've got the entire world, and then you've got a part of the world that's called the east. And then you've got a part of the east that's called Eden. And then you've got a part of Eden that's being called what? The garden. The garden. Okay? And that's where Adam and Eve are. That's, that's, that's where they're at right here. You see how Genesis 2-9, though, it's three-tiered. 
Garden Eden East. Keep that in your minds as we go through this entire course. All right, Genesis 2-9, you've got kind of three tiers. Uh, the reason I'm telling you to keep that in your mind is because that's going to be very important whenever we see Israel at Sinai. Do you guys know what happens at Mount Sinai? Uh, they get the what? Okay, they get the Ten Commandments and the law. Uh, Sinai is three-tiered. The tabernacle is three-tiered. Most holy place, holy place, outer court. Temple is three-tiered. Most holy place, holy place, uh, outer court. All right, we're going to see that this pattern shows up quite a lot. Actually, the uh, Noah's Ark is too. Okay, so they are placed in uh, in the garden, which is in Eden, and it's in the east. And they're told, "Be fruitful, multiply." And fill the what? Yeah, not just fill the garden, not just fill Eden, not just fill the east, but fill what? Everything, the entire earth. Okay. Um, What is so special about Eden? Uh, Let me ask it this way. Um, If Adam and Eve were to leave the garden, and even if they were to leave Eden, would they find that the world was still pretty nice outside of that? No. Uh, well, well, yes. Okay, Shane, why do you say yes? Because God said in, uh, when he created, when he fully finished doing everything, he said that it was good. Therefore, that means that the rest of the earth is not just a desert. Yeah, it's not just a desert. In, in Genesis one thirty one, it says... That or uh, yeah, after God created everything, it's it's not just good. But what does Genesis one thirty one say? The entire creation is very good. Um, is there any sin anywhere in creation yet? No. No. Is any part of creation under a curse yet? No. No. All right. So things outside of the garden are still going to be pretty nice. What makes the garden so special? Okay, it's especially made place for them, and I think Natalie's right. The thing that makes the garden so special is that is where not only Adam and Eve are, uh, but who else is there with them? God is. The serpent's not yet. The serpent will be later, and that's not a good thing. Um, but, but right now, God is with them. What does the text say? Uh, when does God show up and, and walk with them? Let's see. There's somewhere where it talks about God walking with them in the cool of the day. What verse is that? Anybody know? And they were like in the bush. Oh no, it's like, the, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Yeah. Yeah, after they eat the fruit, you're right. So, but, but you know, the, the point remains here. You know, the, the thing that makes Eden so good is this is a place where God is speaking with them. It's a place where God is present with them. Um, the rest of the creation would have had really nice uh, trees, really nice fruit, really nice 
animals to play with and stuff. I don't know, you know, uh, go down in the ocean and swim with the sharks and they're not going to eat you. That'd be kind of cool, right? I mean, the rest of the creation is not bad at this time. The rest of the creation is still good, but the reason that the garden is the garden is that the Lord God is there with them. You guys remember your uh, your verse, right, that you picked on the, on the high school retreat? Um, you know, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. We talked about how in that verse the, the writer is saying the thing that makes heaven so grand is that I get to be there with God. And the thing that makes this earth a, a place worth living is that even here God promises to be with me, right? The thing that makes the garden the garden is that God's presence is there with his people. It's a place where Adam, Eve, and the Lord walk in fellowship and harmony together. And God is calling them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And eventually, right, uh, the idea is they're going to have a bunch of kids. And once there's enough people, is everyone going to fit in the garden anymore? So some people are going to start being out here in in the place called Eden. Um, But what's going to be true out there whenever that happens? Huh? Yeah, it's going to fill up too eventually. And then eventually they're going to be out here uh, in the east. And, And let's say Adam and Eve never fell into sin. All right. And they keep on having kids and they keep on spreading out. They keep on being fruitful and multiplying and filling the entire earth. Let's say that they never fall into sin. Um, what, what are all these people going to be like in their relationship with God? It's going to be good. So are they going to be able to walk with God here? Yeah. yeah are they going to be able to walk with God here? Yeah. What about out here? Yeah. yeah. If they've not fallen into sin and they're going to be in right relationship with God as they fill the earth, uh, the entire earth is going to be a place where man walks in harmony and fellowship with God. Basically, the entire earth is going to become what? It's already good. The entire earth is going to become like what? It's going to become like the garden. Like the garden. So this command that God gives Adam and Eve, we could summarize it by saying, make everything like like what place? Make the entire creation like what place? Like the garden. Make the entire creation a place where God and man do what? Speak and walk together. Speak and walk together and and are in good relationship. You know, what's happening in the garden, make that happen everywhere. You guys see that in the text? Yeah. All right. Abby, did you have a question? So my theory. The Hunger Games. My theory, and I, I mean, I can't prove this because did Adam and Eve live perfectly? No. No, they fell into sin, so we don't really know what would have happened, do we? We, we don't really know what would have happened. My theory, though, is um, if, if humanity had not fallen, if we didn't have to deal with death, uh, if and, and you guys know whenever... Uh, Mankind fell into sin. It didn't just hurt like one part of us. It hurt the entire person. Um, What do you think Adam and Eve's brains were like? You think they were smart? 
well, I mean, they do something really stupid in eating the, the, the tree, right? But, you know, human beings use, like, what percentage of their brain right now? Like, no, way less than that. I think it's, like, 8 or 10% of our brain, right? So, you know, and, and honestly, I would see that as, as uh, kind of a, an effect of sin and, and an effect of the fall. So my thought is, um, Adam and Eve don't sin. This doesn't stop with the earth. They keep going. I was right. Science. Go to space. Go to Mars. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is it didn't happen. But this is what the command looks like to me is God is telling them, make everything that's not the garden, make everything not like the garden like the garden. Right? Make it all a place where God and humanity walk in fellowship together. Make the entire earth look like that. Do Adam and Eve obey that command? No. Do they succeed? No, instead, they do the, the opposite. Um, make everything look like the garden. Make everything, uh, you know, look like this place where God and man walk in fellowship together. And, and instead, what they do is they take that one place where that's happening and they ruin it. They take their paradise and, and, and basically they break it, right? They do the opposite, okay? All right. Um, you guys have any questions on this? Somebody open to Romans 5, and somebody else open to 1 Corinthians 15. I got 1 Corinthians And someone open to Ephesians 5. I'll tell you in a second. We'll actually start with the first Corinthians. I think, Jeremiah, do you have that? Jeremiah, read for us first Corinthians. uh, You're going to do chapter 15, uh, verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death by a man, has come also the the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah, who are the two people being compared in that passage? Adam and who? Christ. And Jesus, right? Um, It talks about, I don't know why I made that one shorter. We'll make Jesus taller than Adam because he's better. Amen, brother. All right. Um, According to that passage Jeremiah just read, um, what did Adam do? What did he do uh, to all of us? What did he bring all of us? Sin into the world. He brought sin, which leads to death. For as by Adam all die. All right, what does Jesus bring to those who believe in him? Life. Okay, life and... Well, we'll just leave it right there. Life and... Uh, tied up with that, we, we could say is right relationship with God, right? Eternal life, right relationship with God. Okay? Um, so Adam and Jesus are being compared here. It's almost like Jesus is in a do-over of Adam. In the garden, Adam represented all of us. And whenever Adam messed up, did that just hurt Adam? No. Who did it hurt? Everyone. Everyone. Every one of us. 
But whenever Jesus got things right, whenever he lived the perfect life and then he died on the cross and then he was raised from the dead, who does that help? Everyone who what? Believes in him. Everyone who believes. Yeah. Whenever we believe in Jesus, we stop having Adam as our representative and we start having Jesus as our representative. What Adam did counted for you. When Adam sinned, it was like you had sinned, right? He sinned, and he brought death into the world, and sinner plus sinner equals what? Sinner. So, man, you were born behind the eight ball. Did you sin and become a sinner, or, did you, or, or do you sin because you already are a sinner? You sin because you already are. David, in Psalm 51, says, I was conceived in sin. He said, whenever I was in my mama's tummy... I was a sinner, right? So what Adam did uh, counted for us, and that was really bad for us. But whenever we have faith in Jesus, what Jesus did now counts for us. He's a new Adam. Um, Shane, you have Romans. Uh, Please read Romans uh, 5.15-21. Okay. Uh, not as the offense, so also is the gift for if those the offense of one may be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace. No, gift by grace. Which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abundance unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for judgment was by one to him. Condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For then, by one man sent death reigned by one much more they have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment come upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the one free gift, come unto all men, unto justification of life, whereas all, whereas by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by obedience of one shall may be made righteous. You can actually stop right there. That, that last verse, you know, makes the same point that we just talked about. Thank you for reading. Um, for as by the one man's disobedience, who is that talking about? For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, the many were made, what? Sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Right? Jesus, right? Um, Ephesians 5, I want to look at this really briefly as well and, and make a couple of points here. Um, Ethan, I think you have that one, right? No, I have Who does? Zach? Um, Zach, read Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 for us. Yes, sir. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Pause right there really quickly. That verse is in what? Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 2. Zach, can you tell that verse 31, that's in quotation marks? Is it in quotation marks in yours? Uh, Mine is in this. Okay. 
Um, verse 31 that he just read, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's in Genesis chapter 2 after Eve has been made and she and Adam are married. All right, and now listen to how Paul explains that. Keep reading verse 32 and 33, please. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Okay, so in that passage, he takes this verse about Adam and Eve being married. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Paul takes that and says, really, what that verse is about is what? The what? Yeah, he says, this mystery is profound, and I tell you, it refers to Christ and the church. So we've already seen from three passages now that Jesus is often compared to who? Jesus is often compared to who in those passages we just went over? Oh, Adam. Adam. In this passage, who would the church be compared to? No. Okay, he quotes from Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is about the marriage of Adam and Eve. Okay. He quotes from Genesis 2, which is about the marriage of Adam and Eve. Jesus has already been compared to Adam. Who is his Eve? The church. The church. Yeah, that's what that text is saying, right? Uh, Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and this is actually about Christ and the church. That's what Ephesians 5 said that Zach just read. Okay. So, the New Testament is constantly telling us that where Adam messed up, Jesus succeeded. Where Adam fell, Jesus obeyed. Where Adam sinned, Jesus did what was right. All right? Um, Did Adam get this command right? No. No. He didn't. Uh, You know, did he make everything like the garden? Did, did, Did Adam succeed in doing that? Did Adam make the entire creation a place where God and man walked in fellowship together? No. Not even a little bit. He did the complete opposite of that. All right? But now the New Testament tells us there's a new Adam on the scene. There's a new guy. It's Jesus. And where Adam messes up, what does Jesus do every single time? He succeeds and he obeys. Where Adam sins, Jesus obeys. Is Jesus going to get this right? Yeah. Yeah. He is. And who is Jesus' partner in that? You know, Adam and Eve... All right, Adam was created and he was given this command and then Eve was made as his, do you remember the word, and, and as his helper, all right? Who is the helper of Jesus? By the way, does Jesus really need a helper? No. No, but who does he let be his helper? The church, all right? So as Jesus is, uh, you know, doing this, as he's making everywhere on this earth a place where God and man walk in fellowship together, who gets to play a role in him doing that? The church. The church does. How does Jesus do that? How does he make uh, how does he how does he make people walk in fellowship with God? Through the what? So, what's the what's the message that we preach called? Bible. Oh the gospel. The gospel, right? 
So here's how we can summarize all of this. You ready? We've had a lot of information. Let's bring it all together now. Adam and Eve were put in the garden and they walked in perfect harmony with God. And God commanded them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with people who would walk with God just like they did. Everywhere was going to look like the garden where God and man walked in fellowship and harmony together. That was the plan in the beginning. But Adam and Eve failed to image God the way that they were supposed to. They failed in this commandment. Instead, they broke their relationship with God through sin and the little bit of paradise that existed on the world was lost. But God sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And everywhere that Adam messed up, Jesus obeyed. Everywhere that Adam and Eve failed to image God, Jesus imaged him perfectly. And Jesus, through his perfection, has made a way for you and me to walk in harmony and fellowship with God. If we hear his gospel message and we believe in it, we can be right with God. And that gospel message is offered to how many people? Is it only offered to Jews? Is it only offered to Gentiles? Is it only offered to men? Only offered to women? No, it's offered to everyone. Everyone who believes on Christ will receive the, the blessings and promises and benefits offered in the gospel. And so Jesus has this gospel message and he has entrusted it to a certain group of people. Who is it? His his disciples, his church. His church. Right now, it's the job of his church to preach that gospel, to tell people how they can be in right relationship with God. And through the power of Christ and his gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, people hear the gospel and they believe and they give their lives to God. They become people who are in right relationship with him. Right? And the earth more and more, ideally, does this always happen? No, but ideally becomes a place where God and man are walking in harmony and fellowship together. And the end of the story says that one day Jesus is going to do what? Right now he's in heaven. What's he going to do one day? He's going to come back. He's going to come back to earth. And the, the, the teaching of Revelation 21 and 22 is that Jesus will make all things new. Right? There will be a new heaven, but you know what else there will be? A new earth. And you know what's going to be true on that new earth? It'll be just like this. It'll be like one big garden. Jesus will dwell there with his people forever. And anywhere you go on that new earth, there will be people who are walking in harmony and fellowship with God. And it'll be the way that it was meant to be in the beginning. Right, you guys see that? You guys understand that? Questions about that? Um, when you said everyone was born a sinner, and since Mary was born in the universe, doesn't that make Jesus a sinner? So the idea, I think, in Scripture, we're going to talk about this in a few days. I think the idea in Scripture is that these, the sin nature, all right, is passed down through the Father. So what's true about Jesus? He's born of a virgin. virgin. All right. He has a dad named what? Joseph. Joseph. But is Joseph his physical father? No. No. 
So I think that's how we get around that. All right. I don't. I think that you. I think that Scripture uh, seems to teach that you inherit that from the Father. And so, since he doesn't have a, a, a since he doesn't have a human, a physical human father, he only has an adopted father. Uh, I think that's how we get around that. Any other questions? Okay. So, um, let me point something weird out to you really quickly. Um, somebody read for us. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. I got it. All right, Jeremiah, read it for us. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay. Um... This is the end of the creation week. The seventh day, God did what? Rested. Rested. Well, let me ask you guys a couple of questions really quickly. Um, Did God get, like, super tired and then he needed to take a break? No. Okay. Uh, Later in, in the Bible, whenever we get to the book of Psalms, there's a psalm that says, Israel, you need to know that your God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Okay, setting an example for us. Um, you know, later in Scripture, there will be a command, the fourth commandment given to Israel to keep the what holy? Sabbath day holy, to set aside uh, six days for work and one day for rest. All right, I think that's part of it. That's good. Um, Whenever you look at that seventh day, do you notice that anything is missing? There's a pattern the other six days follow. Okay? Um, The other six days follow a pattern like this. God speaks. And then what happens? Stuff is made. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to say it. It it comes true, right? Uh, Whatever he said happens. Stuff is made. God speaks. Stuff is made. Um, Usually there's some sort of a God looked and he saw that it was what? Good. Okay, so so God, we could say maybe he blesses it. He declares it good, something like that. Uh, He says it is good. And then every single day ends... With the exact same words. Yeah, there's morning and there's night. Wait. It's actually flipped. Yeah, there was evening and morning. Yeah, there was evening and there was morning. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later on. Uh, for the Israelites, the day starts in the evening. Their days are different than ours are. Um, if for the for the uh, Israelites, um, I think it's usually like 6 p.m., is, is the way that, that's the time when their new day starts. All right, so like right now, um, if, if we were in Old Testament days, right now would actually be, uh, let's see, today's Thursday, this would be Wednesday morning. And then uh, later today, you would, you would stay awake and all of a sudden it would be Thursday evening. And then the next morning, you would wake up and it would be a Thursday morning. Right, it's switched there. 
So evening comes first and then morning. That would be confusing, wouldn't it? You sleep through you sleep through the middle of the day, right? Uh, so that you know that would be a little bit confusing. But we'll talk about that. It makes it a little bit difficult whenever you're doing any sort of biblical dates because it's like, hmm, wait, oh, hold on a minute. This is a totally different way of thinking about a day. Um, Huh? Do they still do that? Um, well, I mean, okay, if you have a Jewish person who's living in the United States today, they're going to kind of function on our calendar, right? Um, but if they're trying to figure out when should we hold the Passover, they got to go back to that to get the, the biblical dating right. All right, so the seventh day, um, you know, we, we look at it and... Um, these two things don't happen because God is finished with his work uh, and so he is resting. Um, does God give any sort of a blessing on the seventh day? No. Yes, he does. Where does he, where does he do it on the seventh day? What, what does it say? God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Yeah, God blessed the seventh day. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the equivalent of, of, of this... Uh, God blesses it. He, he says that it's good. So, so we do have God uh, blessing here. Uh, what is missing? Uh, there was evening and morning one day. Yeah, does it ever say that? No. Hmm. Maybe Saturday. Why do you say that? Joy Lynn says, is it supposed to be continuous? Why do you say that? Because she knows the answer. Because usually when he says, when there's evening and morning, like, okay, here's when you can rest at this point. But he doesn't end the day. He just doesn't end the day. Jeremiah? Maybe he rested when the new day started, so it's technically Hebrews chapter 4 picks up on this and it says in chapter 4 verse 4 God has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from all his works and then he says his works were finished from the foundation of the world um, let me let me talk to you a little bit about the Sabbath. Um, well, actually, I'm not sure that we have a lot of time for that. Maybe this is a good place to pick up tomorrow. All right. Maybe this is a good place to pick up tomorrow. We need to talk a little bit about this seventh day and what is really happening on it. All right. We have this idea that he finished his work. We have this idea of rest. Um, and so we need to talk about what do those words really mean? What, what is really, what is God doing on the seventh day? Uh, and we'll look at a few passages that will help us explain that a little bit tomorrow. Um, and then after we do that, we're going to jump into, uh, Genesis three and start talking about, um, the first sin that was committed and, a uh, really big promise that God gives. Um, you all should remember, first thing tomorrow morning, what do you need to do? 
Yeah, you're going to get called out, and you need to recite the memory verse to me. Uh, you have a choice of translation, but make sure that you know it. I would not recommend coming in <laughs> 10 seconds before class, trying to memorize it really fast, because I'm a mean person. And if I see you doing that, I'll probably call on you first. And then you'll go out there and go, I, I, I just needed a minute to look at it, and I'll say, well, you've had an entire week. Has that happened in the past? Oh, yeah. So, so, you know, don't try to cram this 10 seconds before I'm going to call you out to do it. Uh, Genesis 3.15 uh, is a, the reason you're memorizing it is because it is an enormously important verse that we are going to talk about probably every single week going forward. Okay? We're going to constantly refer back to Genesis 3.15. Because I think the Bible constantly refers back to Genesis 3.15. So I want you guys to memorize it so that whenever I say, and by the way, what was that promise that God gave? The very first promise that he, that he gave his people, you'll be able to recite it like that. All right. So make sure that you know it and you're ready to, to do it.